we know that physically fit kids do better academically. We know that we all do better when we're physically fit, when we're moving. Our brain demands that our body moves. And a good friend of mine, Jean Moy, she says, you know, we live in a culture of sitness versus fitness. And John Ravy, who's a psychiatrist at Harvard that wrote Spark, says we are literally shriveling our brains because of it. So the framework has in it practical ideas for classroom teachers to use with their students in the form of exercise. If nothing else, to just be an example and a role model that your physical life is critical to your emotional, intellectual, academic, your social life to a successful life. My guest, Mike Cruzala, presented a TED Talk seen by over 100,000 people about the benefits of teaching and learning in a kinesthetic classroom. He's been in high demand ever since, presenting, writing, and getting the word out on the mind-body connection. Author of The Kinesthetic Classroom and recently The Peak Performing Teacher, you have to tune into this episode to hear about the tremendous benefits of movement in class and how a teacher can do this while meeting their curricular demands. It's not just a classroom tip, it's a lifelong skill. Welcome back to my podcast, Big Ideas and Small Windows. I'm here with Mike Kuksala. It's such a pleasure to have someone who is a professional in the field with so much to share. I can't wait to dive in with you. Well, thank you, Michael, for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm anxious to have this conversation. Yeah, so I'm going to jump right in. You have delivered your message to over 100,000 educators, corporate leaders, and families. Why do you believe your message has traveled so far? Because it's, uh, it's backed by science. It feels right. People change when they understand the research and then they, they feel the training and they get to experience it themselves. And it just, it becomes the mo- one of the most enjoyable professional experiences they've had because it, it just creates a better learner Then they get to feel it. And then, you know, whether they're corporate trainer or their classroom teacher or college professor, they're anxious to implement it. So when it makes that much sense and intuitively feels right, the message spreads pretty quickly. Sounds contagious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Definitely. Uh, So tell us a little bit about what is the brain-body connection? It's just something that's in play all the time. And the more we know about it, the more we can take advantage of it uh, versus us taking advantage uh, of it, taking advantage of us. And it's in play in classrooms all the time and in training all the time. So you have to be aware of it. It's just this back and forth and this interplay. And and one of the things, one of the examples I use, and I actually used in in the TEDx talk, is that biomedical researchers now know that cortisol, which is a powerful hormonal byproduct of stress, is also a powerful immune cell inhibitor. So what does that mean in plain language? We rise our stress levels all the time, especially as educators, and the danger flag's risen too often, the accelerator stays down too long, and we can get sick. And so bottom line is what stress, it's a perception most of the time of an event, something that might have happened or might happen or did happen. And so what's a perception? It's a thought. So we can link our thoughts to illness. And that is a powerful way that the brain has this big influence over the body. And another, conversely, another example is that, you know, we always thought up until about two decades ago that the brain cells, nerve cells, neurons that you were born with, in fact, is all you've got about 80 billion or 86 billion or so. We now know that's not true, but in the hippocampus region of the brain, we can create through this process called neurogenesis 
new brain cells. And so one of the profound ways to do that is through aerobic activity. And as it turns out, the brain is one of the primary beneficiaries of the benefits of exercise. So we have this back and forth. That's a way that the body sets the brain up for success. And that's what we're after in the teaching and learning process. So it's just a back. There's so much more. There's so many examples. Everything is brain body. Can't get away from it. We just have to raise our awareness. Yeah, I got so much to say to that. Like you, you can teach a, an old dog new tricks is the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. And then thinking about how when people often say it's just in your head, it's not just in your head. It's in your head and your body. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit about using movement in six different ways? Sure. So it's a framework that, you know, my co-author and I created with our, and back in around 2006 or seven uh, in our graduate course before even the books came out. And so we can prepare the brain to learn through vestibular system activities because kids are coming to school a little bit less ready to learn than they were a generation ago from a physical perspective, because what they do before they get to school physically matters cognitively. And we can also use something called brain primers to support executive function. There's other things besides brain primers as, as well, but you know, coordinative beat-based, you know, rhythmic type of activity actually supports executive function in kids and adults, which is more important to academic achievement than IQ. Then there, of course, there's brain breaks. Everybody knows about brain breaks. Maybe people call them blast energizers, boosts. We're stuck with that word brain break, but it's just when you've been sitting for too long, you need to get up, get the blood and oxygen flow around the brain and body, get a little adrenaline flow, a little bit of cortisol, which is not bad in short bursts, and just have some fun, a little bit of laughter, get the kids focused again, and then get back to the work and they can sit down if you so uh, choose to have them sit down. Supporting exercise and fitness is a third step in the framework. We know that physically fit kids do better academically. We know that we all do better when we're physically fit, when we're moving. Our brain demands that our body moves. And a good friend of mine, Jean Moy, she says, you know, we live in a culture of sitness versus fitness. And John Rady, who's a psychiatrist at Harvard that wrote Spark, says we are literally shriveling our brains because of it. So the framework has in it practical ideas for classroom teachers to use with their students in the form of exercise. If nothing else, to just be an example and a role model that your physical life is critical to your emotional, intellectual, academic, your social life to a successful life. So that's the third part of the framework. The next part, part four, is creating class cohesion. We want to build that environment, emotional environment that stimulates intellectual achievement. You know, SEL topic is all the rage right now, and as, as it should be. And this is, you know, through you, there's many ways to do it other than physical activity, but you can do it pretty quickly using physically active team building activities in a classroom. And then reviewing content, we can use our bodies to review in many fun and engaging ways that involves all learners versus the three that raise their hand. And it's, a, you know, an interesting way for teachers to kind of assess generally what they might need to go back over. A lot of benefits. You don't need a brain break because you're doing something academic. And finally, something the brain prefers in a great way is using our bodies to learn. Most school learning happens explicitly through dialogue and reading and listening and lecture and, and memorization. And I'm not against that. It's important in school life, but our brain prefers things through physical channels and emotional channels. And so we can create that when we use our bodies to learn when it is appropriate to you. So those are the six parts of the framework. Wow, what a great synopsis. I was thinking about when you said that the emotional connection too, it explains why storytelling is such a more powerful way to deliver a message than just delivering facts. 
Absolutely. All learning is emotional. You can't get away from it. And the more that we can create meaning around or kids can create their own meaning, the more likely it is to be stored in the long term. So emotion is critical to school life and school learning. Yeah. On that note, and you mentioned SVL earlier, do you think, and this might seem like an obvious answer, but I got to ask it. Do you think the pandemic has increased the need for students to move to stimulate learning? Oh, without a doubt. In fact, that's funny you should say, I was just writing out a session description for some PD I'm going to do in North Carolina later this summer. And I just did some work for some a group LCEEQ in Montreal. And that was the focus of the session was the fact that the pandemic created downward pressure on physical activity, which increases uh, mental health risks, which increased weight gain. Another outcome was poor sleep. It just creates poor downward pressure on so many things. So we do know that people were not moving as much during the pandemic. And that's critical to recognize as we come out of the pandemic at this point. Yeah, I think we also see the data out there. Isn't it obvious when we hear that there's increased mental health issues, there's increased addiction, there's even increased suicide attempts, unfortunately. So all of this can be remedied by movement, which which is remarkable when you think about it. It it's, is remarkable. And what, what you've just described is the essence of the brain-body connection. If we're not moving, our mental health can decline. I'm not saying it will, but it can. And we can improve it greatly through being physical. And speaking of that, we know from the research that you mentioned this earlier, movement increases academic achievement. Could you explain a little bit about why? Well, there's a lot to that, actually. We know that it increases motivation. We know that it increases engagement. And so when, when you are motivated and you're engaged, you're more likely to succeed uh, academically. And the other thing is, too, it, you know, a, a teacher's job is all about long term memory. I always kind of reinforce that when I'm working with them. You're hired because we want kids to use the information again and a story, whether it's social, emotional, when it's concepts and content or whether it's something physical in a gymnasium, we want them to use it again. So what are the two criteria like if it's something is not very powerful emotionally what are the two criteria because most school learning you know do you think kids are on the edge of their seat like oh my gosh every day i can't wait to hear the next thing you have to say that's not reality so the two criteria are does it make sense and does it have meaning right the more powerful criteria is meaning And, and so we need to help kids create that but here's the thing about meaning meaning making is state dependent meaning how I feel during content acquisition matters. We've not been told to really pay attention, to be good state managers in in a classroom. So in order for me to create meaning, to get information to long-term memory, to hopefully improve academic achievement, I need to be in the best brain, body, emotional state possible. And the number one available state manager to all teachers in any classroom is physical activity. There's other ways to manage state. I can use music, I can stand on a chair, I can sing and dance, whatever. But when I move kids, that's the top way to manage state, create good feelings around creating meaning to get the information into long-term memory and create motivation and engagement. Yeah, and we talked a lot about movement and its relationship to learning. Interestingly, I want to go off topic a little and just ask you, how do you feel about flexible seating or what I like to call right-sized seating in classrooms? Yeah, I'm a big, big fan, especially of the options. We just traditionally sit. And at the other end of that, and I've seen many of these, are examples of classrooms where there is only equipment. 
There are treadmill desks and elliptical desks and there are pedal desks where kids are sitting, but they're moving. And you know, somewhere in between is flexible seating where kids have options. It looks more like life. It feels more like life. Researchers kind of sum it up this way. Culturally, we look at sitting as the norm. And when we want to take a break, we stand up for a minute or two or three. And they're suggesting, hey, why don't we look at the norm as standing to learn? And when you need a break, you just sit down for a couple minutes. We're not there yet, but we're shifting that way. And flexible seating offers that type of arrangement that's really brain compatible and healthy for students. Yeah, it even reminds me of those like moving desks and things like that, which you see in some corporate areas. Interestingly, ideas like that that are so phenomenal, you just don't see them unless it's a special grant funded project in schools. So it'd be neat to see those things come along. Yeah, really, really would. Uh, That's the problem. It can be very expensive to do, but I think it is the future and we're moving. We're moving that way slowly, but surely. Yeah, agreed. You talked about breaks. How do you feel about micro breaks? And how they should be used. Well, before I answer that question, Michael, give me your give me your definition. A micro break for me personally yeah. is that I'm at my desk here writing or working on something somewhat stationary, and I get up and I take a five minute walk, and I yeah I, I, yeah. yeah okay so that that falls in the category of brain break. It kind of goes between brain break and supporting exercise and fitness. How do I feel about it? I think it's fantastic. We need to do that. I have a desk-based job and I'm very aware of that. I'm rarely in a seat for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes at a time. I have got to get up and move. It just makes you more effective and more efficient. It's very brain compatible. And, you know, a brain break or a micro break doesn't always have to be a fancy activity. It can be just what you described, a five minute walk to refresh. You know, there are countries around the world where they do that. You've been sitting for 45 minutes, you get 15 or whatever it is. There's different ways to break this up, but I am all in favor and think it's very healthy. Yeah, we can literally feel the blood flowing in our brain. I think when we take a break in that form, it's amazing. Yeah, we do know that, that blood flow and oxygen flow increases to the brain as soon because blood pools in the butt and legs when you sit. That's not what we're after in the teaching and learning process. We need to get kids up so things flow around and I become more engaged. You know, the other thing that physical activity does is it pulls you into the moment. Oftentimes when you have to move, you have to be paying attention. So it becomes a very mindful activity. It's stress reducing. All that stress, the squirrels that are running around, if something that might happen or something that did happen, they go away because you are forced into the moment by the activity. Reminds me of even just a a small nature walk or outside walk, how much that sensation and the sound and the sights also stimulates your mindset. Yeah, that's the other part of this is that getting outside is a part, you know, we can't always do that. But when you can and when you can get kids outside, it's really healthy to do. It's a whole nother level of stimulation and it can be a very mindful activity as well. Do you believe technology can play a role in motivating students to move? Sure. I mean, there, there are tech programs. So that specifically, you know, I'm thinking of videos that are used so often, which is an example of technology. A move to learn ms.org is an example of that where videos can be used in the classroom and other kinds of technology. I think once we get into the fitness area, using types of monitors, bracelets, et cetera, 
in the physical education space can really be a motivator for kids to move, to track what they're doing. So there are many different ways, I think, to use technology to enhance. So, and, and my, just to let you know, I'm going to do a plug for my, my co-author of the Kinesthetic Classroom books. She wrote another book on her own with someone else called The Movement and Technology Balance. And so I think it's, it's what you're getting at. We live in a world of tech. We need to keep moving. And so how do we balance those activities? Yeah, I think that's that integration piece is key, not being sedentary, but finding ways to leverage it with the, the technology. Sure. It's that balance. Uh, you just published a book, congratulations, in February for teachers on how they can achieve their peak. Can you tell us what we might look forward to and maybe just one nugget from the book? Sure. A Peak Performing Teacher is actually a book I've been wanting to write long before all this uh, movement stuff started. And it's just been kind of sitting there. End of the pandemic, I needed a project. And so my publisher was really excited about it. So I chose five areas that can give great benefits pretty quickly. And so the first one is living the physical life because we forget that, how critical that is, not just for our health, but also for our brains to create success in other areas of our lives, to use our physiology, to change our psychology, uh, to get moving. You know, when you're depressed and you're anxious, look at what your body's doing. You're probably not doing much. Uh, and so what are you doing with your body to transition your brain? Second part is changing your mind. It's a stress management area of the peak performing teacher with these five habits, using perspective to change your mind, using meditation, using autogenic training, uh, you know, using some very simple tools that we just take for granted. What I say in the beginning of the book is, you know, this book is a reminder. I didn't invent anything new here. It's just told through my filters and my stories and my personal history to hopefully help you become the best you can be for kids every day when you enter the school. So the third part, when I'm actually doing work with this, I save it for the end, is creating personal mission, sharpening your mental game, and also goal setting, and some specific ways to do that that can be more helpful. When we have a personal mission, we can check our life choices against that mission to see if we're going further away or getting closer to our mission, and we can use goals to support that as well. The uh, next part is practicing gratitude. It has such a huge return, and we take it for granted for so little effort. It's just a, it's a switch in the brain. And so how do you use gratitude to create a better life, to create more joy, to create more happiness? Because the research supports all of that. And finally, morning routine. It's the cliche, win the morning. And I reached out to eight teachers who I really respected professionally, class, practicing classroom teachers, but they're they're in their state governance of their teaching area, or they have written books, or they have podcasts, or other businesses. And I just really have a lot of respect. And I say, you know what, that person has to have a morning routine. And I was right seven out of the eight times. So I described those morning routines in the book and how people can get to that space where they're using the morning to their advantage. So those are the five ways. And I'm really excited about it. It came out yeah, about six weeks ago. And it's really been a lot of fun. Yeah. Congratulations. I love that. Those are good odds. Seven out of eight said, yeah, I use a morning routine. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Took a chance. Yeah. The other well, one, the eighth, the eighth one said, you know what? I have three young kids. You don't want to know my morning. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. We, we we'll catch up with you in like 10 years when yeah. maybe things are a little more settled for them. Yeah. And I think that idea of gratitude, rewiring the brain, we see that in the research and, and how much giving back and 
a lot on self-care. You know, there's a recognition that teachers went through a lot too. They were on the front lines of such an incredible challenge and still are so that they can't be ready to teach in their optimal state unless of course they are. So I, I love the fact that you, you came out with this book after the kinesthetic classroom and some of your other publications. It's a nice addition to a library that somebody could really benefit from as, as an educator. Yeah, thank you. And I, it wasn't really, if I'm being honest, it wasn't planned for the, I didn't say to myself one day, you know what? Oh my gosh, teachers have had a really stressful time, which they have. And I come from a family of them, wife, sister, both parents, three grandparents, an aunt and a cousin. It's just what we do in my family. I just had this information sitting for decades and it's expanded over the years. And so I wanted to get it out there and it's just good timing right now. A lot of people say, I want to write that book someday. And you have, it was sitting there for a while, but in fact, only one and a half percent of Americans have published a book. I don't know if you knew that stat. Uh, I did not. Yet 80% of us have at some point said we want to. So that's a special category. And, and I'm glad that you're able to share that. As you said, through your filter and your stories, it was a great way to communicate that. So appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I was surprised to learn about your tenure career as a band and choral director. When I was doing research on Mike Kuxella, I immediately assumed, oh, he was a physical education teacher, probably a coach. And I was wrong. <laughs> Yet what parallels are there between band in the arts and, and physical education and wellness? Yes. Yeah, so you would be right about the coach thing. I coached baseball for many years. I didn't begin even playing an instrument until I was almost 21. It's just a long, strange story. I was actually ending a very short average career in competitive bodybuilding. I, so I had this very physical life already. And just to give you a little bit more background, my father is, a, in, I live in Berks County, Pennsylvania. He's kind of a well, he's not with us anymore, but he was a Hall of Fame football coach. He played mm. football at Syracuse with Jim Brown. He was a quarterback. And the other side of that was that he was an art teacher. So it was normal for me growing up in my household to see athletics and being physical and the arts side by side. So it, it was natural to me. And so at some point in time, I was a business major. Long story short, I was miserable. I took a music course or two because I could. I liked it. And I was like, whoa. I marched into the department chair's office and I said, I want to be a music major. She said, what do you play? I said, nothing. She kind of laughed. <laughs> I could never get away with that today at this particular university. She made me take some career tests, but I did it. And I, as it turns out, I should have been doing this for a long time because I got pretty good pretty quickly and had a successful career. So the parallels are that my physical life, my bodybuilding, my weight room gave me the drive, the discipline, the dedication, the desire to create something else in my life. And you know, not several months went by that after my final bodybuilding competition, I found this love. You mentioned the first book there are the books that I've written. The first book was written not long after I completed a 10 mile road race, which I had to prepare for. I wasn't a runner. I just did it. And when I crossed the finish line, I felt like I could achieve anything after the training I had to go through. So I actually use my physical life in other parts of my life to create more success. And that's kind of where that came from. And then, you know, eventually I left band and choral directing, but I'm grateful. I have deep appreciation for music and still enjoy it very much. Yeah. You got an interesting combination of things between the coaching yeah. and everything else and the bodybuilding. Can you tell my audience what your blog, what that can offer to them as readers? What I actually have written some blogs occasionally. So I do have a blog site on my website. So at mikezal.com, you can read some of the blogs 
what I do more of are guest blogs mm. and I post them there. So I've guest blog for Moving Minds, which is a company that sells the type of equipment that we've been talking about earlier. I just wrote a guest blog for the Educational Collaborative for International Schools and trying to get the word out about, you know, whatever they'd like me to do. So that's where, that's where people can find it. They go to my blog page at mikegazala.com. Great. And, and the idea of having guest blogs on there is going to give them a nice library of options to, to yeah. pick and choose from. If you could design the perfect classroom, what an open-ended question, I know. What would it look like? <laughs> Life and, and, and the cliche of the, the guide on the side versus the sage on the stage and flexible seating and project-based learning and differentiation and tiering and allowing kids who need it more opportunities and the kids who need it more opportunities to meet their needs all getting towards the same end where a teacher is engaged in cooperative groups and monitoring and poking and prodding and challenging and you know understanding how the brain learns and providing those opportunities based on strong brain compatible methods. So it's very interactive. It's very collegial. It's very collaborative. It's very safe. It is a place where kids are, feel free to make mistakes because it has been really honed in on and mistakes or just free information about what not to do next time. So it's kind of a very collegial place. It's very active. It's rarely quiet. So I you know, hope that's a good descriptor of the type of classroom that I would like to, to be in. Yeah, I'm glad right at the end there you mentioned it's really quiet. I had this vision of this constructively noisy, buzzing classroom. And it's interesting, historically, I've been an administrator long enough to tell you that there were times where we early on, going back 20 years ago, when if it was too noisy, we sort of question that. Why is there all this noise? And fortunately, that has come full circle, I think, in most education landscapes. And we accept and acknowledge that the interactive, engaging classroom should include student voices. Matter of fact, more so than what we call teacher talk time versus student talk time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You're, you're absolutely correct. And I think we have made a shift. And hopefully I've been a very, very small part of that shift. But getting people information about it's not going to be quiet. And it's very collaborative. And so people need to discuss teacher, the kids who do the doing and the kids who do the talking, do the learning. It's kind of a requirement for the brain because then it gives working memory an opportunity to make sense and or meaning talked about that earlier of the information. So it's important that kids can get up, meet with a partner and discuss what went on the last eight to 10 minutes to create sense and meaning around the learning. So that's not quiet, but it's very collaborative. I even think about how kids learn best when they learn to teach something and not just kids, but all of us, when they actually learn to teach it, that's when you really become very effective at, at mastering content, which is another, another angle there. So this is another one of those giant open-ended questions. So what happened after your Ted talk? Did you not hear from anybody? <laughs> oh no. I, you know, that, that was kind of a, uh, a turning point. I mean, everything was going along well. I get a lot of work. Uh, but then when the TED Talk came out, things kind of skyrocketed. And it I know in the TED Talk world, talks can have millions of views. Most don't. The TEDx talks especially, you know, have almost 100,000. And it's been a really nice opportunity. Of course, there's things I would love to go back and just redo it just a little <laughs> bit, like forgetting who the third president of the United States was. If you get that far in the talk. But yeah, it, it was a, just a great experience and a turning point in my career. 
Yeah, that was a, a, an amazing TED Talk. I did watch it all the way through and I found that you were very believable. So even if you stumbled around a little bit, we, we can all go back and be money, money quarterback. <laughs> but in the end, it was a good job. You got your Thank message you. across. Absolutely. Thank you. And the thing about doing that is that, you know, you're just the lights come down. And I'm used to being very interactive, even in the keynote with the audience. But there's someone sitting right there with an iPad and a timer and you have 20 minutes and it just starts going backwards. And so you go. And so it's a little bit of a harrowing experience, but really, really fun. And what was great about it is you still figured out ways, even in that context, to get people moving around and trying some things, even if they were smaller kinds of micro movements, you were still getting them to do that, to show them and to describe it. Yeah, I really tried to do that because, again, people have to understand the research and they have to feel it for them to go back and preach. So hopefully every one of the people in the audience went back to a, a, a child at home, a, a teacher, school board member, somebody where they went back and said, hey, this is what I heard today. For sure. And I'll make sure I link to that TED Talk in the show notes, as well as your books. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish I had or that you just want to add to the conversation? Yeah, I'm just, as far as content, I, I just, I'm really grateful. I feel like gratefulness is my superpower. When I get scared, when I get fearful, when I get stressed, I go to grateful and it puts me in a different state of mind. And I'm just continuing to be grateful for the outpouring of support and for people like you who do the work with podcasts who can help to get this information out to more people. It's really grateful, appreciated. One other thing I don't think we mentioned is that you can also see some of the work with a peak performing teacher at the peak, the peak performing teacher.com. So if you want some more information about that, you can, you can uh, do that. And I'll link to that as well. Yeah, my audience, Big Ideas and Small Windows, will love hearing from you. And I think that's the whole point is we're sharing knowledge that can be beneficial to everyone. And that's what it's all about. Where can people find you? Yeah, they can find me at MikeKazala.com. And it's that tough Polish last name. <laughs> so yeah, I know you're going to link it in. We're going to link to that too. Yes. So they'll be able to just click right on that. Yeah. They can find me at uh, thepeakperformingteacher.com or they can email me. I always say, shoot me an email, Michael S. Kazala at gmail.com. So they can find me in those places. Excellent. Excellent. Mike Kuzala, author of The Kinesthetic Classroom, among a series of other publications. It has been such a privilege to have you on my podcast. And I want to thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Michael, for having me. I really appreciate you having me on this podcast and looking forward to meeting you in person sometime. Likewise, I definitely look forward to connecting and our mutual friend, Eric, was the reason we're here. Yeah, so we thank him yeah. too. Absolutely, give Eric my best. Will do. Thanks for listening in to another great guest on Big Ideas and Small Windows. We'll see you next time.